come to the passage for the sermon, and it's in Psalm 89, verses 1 through 7, Psalm 89, 1 through 7. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my, with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the heavens is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. This is the word of the Lord. When you enter into this place, I know it looks like kids are kids because it is, right? But when you enter into this place, I mean, we've had a little bit of time to make it look like a congregate, like a church, a place to worship. And when you come from outside, you come on the inside, uh, you're coming not just to a place. The church is not a place. The church is a people. And when you enter into this place with God's people, you're entering into what we would say is the, the visible kingdom of God on the earth. Richard Phillips speaks of the church As it set apart from the world, he went to a celebration of New Year's in 1999 when he was there in 10th Presbyterian Church under the ministry of James Montgomery Boyce. I don't know, some of you folks might remember, he had the big booming bass voice. And so Richard Phillips was there, and he said during the New Year's celebration time, they would have fellowship, they would have testimonies, and then everybody would be ushered into the sanctuary, and they would... Finished that whole service at that time off with the Lord's Supper. He said that outside of the building, there was noise. Outside of the building, there's, well, if you come to my house, there's just nothing but booms and people shooting Roman candles and all the other stuff. In fact, we're glad Lori's still alive. The neighbor uh, almost shot her with a Roman candle one time when we got here. But all this stuff's going on, and they, he says he remembers very vividly on the inside of the church, it was quiet. And there was this people who were quiet and worshiping God. And he says, this was a solemn occasion in which the church was vividly set apart from the world. But folks, listen, it's not just special services where the church is set apart from the world. Every time you come into this place with these people or with God's people, it's the world that's outside. And we are here gathering with the one true and living God. We are set apart from the world. We know that God is everywhere. Proverbs uh, 15.2 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. And in Psalm 139, we see that, that there's no place we can go from God's Spirit. But when we come in here, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18.20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. So we have, yes, God, has the, ki- the kids say, where is God? God is where, kids? God will say, God is everywhere, right? But God is especially present with his people when we come into this place and worship. So our worship to God is what we're going to look at this morning. Our worship uh, as we come to the Lord's Supper. And Psalm 89 verse 7 tells us how we are to come to God in worship. First we see the object of our worship. 
Second, we're going to see the subjects who worship. And finally, we're going to see our approach to God in our worship. First, the object of our worship. Who is it that we worship? In verse 6, at the very end, it says the Lord. And then verse 7 says a God. So we worship the Lord God and we are to worship in the council of the holy ones. There's no one. We just got through reading that in Psalm 86. There's no one like this God. And so we come where he's the object and the subjects. It says there in verse 7, it says, A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones. Now, it's really interesting. Uh, I just was making notice of that in our uh, our, uh, prayer as we enter the sanctuary. Did you notice what it says there? You are praised by the heavenly host and in the congregation of your saints on earth. That is, those are the two holy ones we're going to talk about in the sermon for a second. Who are these holy ones? Well, first of all, those hosts in heaven, those angels in heaven. They are around God right now, and they were worshiping Him. They are finite creatures, but they're brilliant creatures. They're sin-free creatures, and they sing holy, holy, holy to God because they can't help themselves. There's pressure on their lungs, if you will, so much pressure on their lungs that they have to say something to Him, and what they have to say is holy. And there's so much pressure on them that they have to cover their faces with two of their wings. And they cover their feet with two of their wings as if they can't look upon him or their feet are dirty. These are perfect creatures. They do the will of God all the time in a perfect way. And yet they are humble and we might even say trembling before him. We also say that these holy ones are, we can say that they're his holy people. And that would be you and that would be me. We are the visible church of God on this earth, and we come and we worship God. And when we come, and I'm going to give away the third point right now, when we come, we come with a lamb in our arms, we come with Jesus in our arms, and we can come into the Father's presence. And if these angels who are so high above us, if they come, as we see, with fear and reverence, then how much more should we, less brilliant creatures, come with fear and reverence? That is to be our approach. What is the manner? We see here in verse 7, a God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones. Psalm 96 verse 9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence. Let us worship God acceptably with reverence. All for our God is a consuming fire. The object of our worship is God. There's no one that compares to this God. The subjects who worship, well, that's you and that's me. And the manner of our worship is fear, trembling, and reverence. As you and I, as we attend to the ministry of the Word, how do we handle the Word of God every time we come to to this church? Every time we go somewhere and we hear the Word of God preached, how are we handling this Jesus that is preached to us? The Bible tells us in John chapter 6, Jesus stands up in front of a whole group of people, and he says this, he says, My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And then he says, You have to eat me, and you have to drink me. Now, we all know he's not talking about being a cannibal. We all know it. Now, I'm going to be a little silly for a second, but you know what? How many of us, maybe even today, tell our kid we're going to chew their ears off or eat, their, eat them up? 
right? Jesus is not talking about being accountable. Jesus is saying you have to take me in. Jesus is saying my flesh is true spiritual food. My blood is true spiritual drink. And you have to assimilate me. You've got to spiritually take me in. How are you handling the word that comes to you, that preaches to you the bread and the body, of, and the bread or the body, the wine, which is the blood of Jesus Christ? In Leviticus 17, there's a really fast, this was such a, this is a fascinating uh, passage of scripture. I'm just going to give you a really thumbnail sketch of it. But in, Luke, in Leviticus 17, the whole chapter is about reverent handling of the blood of all animals. If you're going to eat the meat of an animal, the blood has to be taken out and taken care of in a special drained out way. If you're going to sacrifice an animal, the blood has to be handled in a, an appropriate way. If you actually ate from an animal that did not have the blood drained properly, there was a way for you to be cleansed of that sin. If you're a hunter, and now this is the one that really gets me. This is the part I like. So if you're a hunter and you go out there and you sit in a blind or you sit in a tree with your bow or however you're hunting and you're sitting there and you're waiting and you're stalking or whatever it is you're doing and then you pull the trigger and you get your game, you know what you have to do after you shoot the animal? All that exhilaration and all the heart pumping and all the things that go with hunting, you have to go over to the animal and you have to drain the blood on the ground and you have to cover it with dirt. You have to stand still. At the blood. Why is that? Why do you have to stand? Why is all this, why does blood have to be treated so carefully? Well, because it speaks of the forgiveness of sins. And if these folks in Leviticus 17 didn't handle that blood appropriately, those folks could be cut off from God's people. And so I ask you again, every Sunday, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ are being presented to you in word as it's being preached. How are you handling the body and how are you handling the blood of Jesus Christ? Every Sunday, with great fear and trembling, are you coming with all seriousness? Are you coming and receiving him and eating and drinking him down? Or... You're treating the body and blood of Jesus with indifference. What we do every Sunday is very important. You may look okay. And I may look okay. And we, that's good. But what's going on on the inside in our hearts? What am I doing with Jesus' body? What am I doing with Jesus' blood? Am I standing still at the blood? And am, am I reverent? Before the blood? Am I taking this blood in as my salvation, loving the Lamb of God, or am I indifferent to the preaching of this body and this blood? You and I, as those who take hold of the body and the blood, we're in Christ, but if we don't take hold of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, we're in danger of being cut off from Christ forever. How serious it is to hear the preaching of God's Word in worship. But how serious then is every part of our worship? You're to be reverent and filled before God with, with reverence every, every, in every point of our worship. This reverence is especially due as we come to commune uh, with, the, with God in the Lord's Supper. God is coming to us in the person of His Son and He's giving to us His, Himself. And when you come to the table, you're to eat and drink as you receive something from another world, you're receiving something from God Himself through Jesus, and we are to do so with fear 
and reverence. So let me give you three points. You should approach the Lord's Supper with great fear and reverence because of what it signifies. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. And then, he, then the apostle writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six: For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this bread and this wine. Now, because you've been instructed, you know what that bread means. And you know what the wine preaches. It preaches something. Just like we've said before, a red sign out there on the road, we, all, we don't need to know that it says stop. We all know what that means. That red sign means to stop. It has stop on there. <laughs> but we know what it means without even reading the words. And these elements, they preach. They're the media. They're the audiovisual aids that God gives to us to preach the gospel to us. Listen to what it says here. Listen to this. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood and it's, it's been poured out for you. Every time you eat, you're to be the one eating. You're to be the one drinking. You, it's all about you. It's about you proclaiming the Lord's death until he come, comes. You, we're intimately involved in this. How are we handling it? When Jesus Christ's body was broken and his blood was poured out, we see in Matthew's gospel that from 12 o'clock p.m. to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the whole earth began to quake. The sun, if you will, bowed its head. The rocks began to split. They, the, the creation trembled and quaked at the death of Jesus Christ. How do we handle the body and blood of Jesus Christ when we come to the Lord's Supper? It's preaching to us the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes to the cross for us. He goes to the cross for our sins and our sins deserve punishment. You know, I was when I was reflected on this sermon i uh i don't like to talk about this but i just will say a, a little snippet about this in 2002 i was pers- i was a personal trainer and uh, it really made me mad i had to be on a jury for four days and that meant for four days as a personal trainer sole proprietor i didn't make any money six dollars a day you get a check might have gone up now maybe they pay you 10 i don't know i was ticked Because I wasn't going to make any money. And so then I go on a court. I go into court. And I had to listen to some of the most disgusting testimony I've ever heard in my life. I had to look at some of the most disgusting pictures I've ever seen in my life. I could not believe somebody could do something like this to somebody. I couldn't sleep. Ask my wife. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I was sick to my stomach after seeing all of this. And this is what really hit me. I looked at that man while I was in that jury. I looked at that 28-year-old man and I realized that guy lived close to me. (laughs) I realized that guy didn't have a tail. I realized that guy didn't have horns. I realized that guy lived close to me. And all his friends worked at the pizza parlor not too far from me. All of them very close to me. This guy deserved to die for what he did and he got 40 years the judge pronounced this person guilty and you and I we deserve to be pronounced guilty for our sins our sins are stench to God 
We're not in a prison like this man, but we deserve to be in a prison forever. And yet God, he sends his son. He loves us so much, he sends his son, and his son comes in love. And I want you to think about something. Think about this. This is a fabulous way to think about this. How much did Jacob love Rachel? Jacob loved Rachel so much, he had to have her so badly, he would work for her for 14 solid years. And Jesus Christ, he will do everything in his power to save you from sin. He will come, he will come from heaven to earth. He will live as a little boy. He will grow up and submit to mom and dad. He will come and he will be baptized. He will carry our sins all the way to the cross because he loves you that much. (laughs) That's fabulous. Jacob loved Rachel so much, he had to have the object of his love and Jesus has to have you. He won't. He will do everything to have you. Look at what he's done to have you. And as we think about that, should we not be in awe? Should we not tremble before this person who does this for us? Well, second, you and I, we should approach the Lord's Supper with great fear and reverence because of what it seals. Now, what's a seal? That's an old word. What's a seal? That's an oath. A seal is a pledge. It's a guarantee. Uh, Kings in years gone by, I don't know. You know, kings back in those days, this ring right here's got a pretty good pretty good thing that sticks off of it. But these kings, they would take these rings and they'd turn them over and they pop off their their sign. And they would write a letter and then they would fold their letter and drip candle on top of it and they put their their signet on there, their signature on there with their ring, guaranteeing to everybody who gets this letter, these promises are from me and you can trust them. That's what a seal is. And today, when we maybe sign a document, we just sign it with our hands. If we get a little bit more serious, we have a notary public come and put their sign on it, put their seal on it. The same thing happens at a wedding. You guys, you girls who have, you men, you women, who have your rings on your your finger, your ring finger of your left hand, your wife put it there, your husband put it there, and they there's there's something there. It's there. And it preaches something to you. <laughs> What's it preaching to you? Till death do us part. <laughs> That's what it preaches. It preaches in sickness and in health. For richer or for poorer, till death do us part. That's what it preaches to you. See, a ring is very significant. And this bread, it comes to us. This blood, it comes to us from Jesus' hand. This, this is his ring. He's putting it on your hand. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This promise is forgiveness. This ring of mine tells you that I love you. It tells you I forgive you. It tells you I love you today, I love you tomorrow, and I'll never stop loving you throughout all eternity. It tells you that I'm your God. It tells you that you are my people. And I'm distinguishing you. I like this. I like this word. I'm distinguishing you with a ring. Just like all you men distinguished your wife. On that day you got married with a ring. You're mine. She put one on you and she said, you're mine. Well, third, you and I, we should approach the Lord's Supper with great fear and reverence because we do not want to partake in an unworthy manner. We see in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, and then verses 29 through 30, the apostle writes, Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, 
if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Now, we go, I'll go back to what we said about Leviticus 17. Remember the folks who didn't handle the blood of those animals correctly in a biblically prescribed manner. They could be cut off from the promises of God. And here we are being confronted with a time to examine or to, to, we're being warned to think about what we're about to do. We're not to participate in an unworthy manner. We're to judge ourselves lest we fall under judgment. And folks back in those days, one of the things that happened to them, they were defiant towards Jesus Christ and His Lordship. And one of the things that would happen to them is they fell under judgment. Some of them became weak and sick and even died. So what we're doing is very serious. Now when we take the body and blood of Jesus Christ that's being preached to us, that comes to all of us indiscriminately. We're to preach the gospel to every single person in the universe, in the world. And every person who hears the gospel is up against a decision every single time they hear the gospel. How will you handle this body and blood being preached? But when the Lord's Supper is being administered, it is only going to give, be given to Jesus' disciples. 1 Corinthians 11 clearly tells us that we need to be careful and to eat and drink in a worthy manner. Now let me give you some thoughts as we move forward to the Lord's Supper. As you and I, as we approach the Lord's Supper, if you do not know what we are doing today, then I'm going to invite you to think about what we said. I'm going to invite you to think about the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus as He's been preached to you. You were up against a decision. You, you need to just watch the, the elements be distributed, but you're up against a decision to take this body that's been preached, to take this blood that's been preached, and you are to receive Him by faith. And then later, come and talk to the session, come and talk to the pastor, and we'll talk about eating and drinking at this table later. As you approach the Lord's Supper, if you're a believer, then you and I, we are to examine ourselves before participating. The apostle says this, a man must examine himself, a woman must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat and drink of the cup. So we need to think. Am I resting in the righteousness of Christ? Am I repenting of all my sins? Am I obeying the commandments of God? Do I love my brothers and do I love my sisters in Christ? As I said to you earlier, the apostle was dealing with people who were defiant towards Jesus and his commandments. Another thing to think about as we move towards the Lord's Supper is, if you're a believer, you are warned to refrain from the Lord's Supper if you have unreconciled hostilities with another member of the congregation. Now, we are a body. It's not, just about, it's not just about eating and drinking with Jesus, but we're eating and drinking with Jesus and the body. And so we want to make sure that we are doing so as a body who sincerely loves the brothers, loves the sisters, love, as Peter says, from uh, one another from deeply from within our hearts. Calvin says this, As often as we partake of the symbol of the Lord's body, as a token given and received, we reciprocally bind ourselves to all the duties of love in order that none of us may, may permit anything to harm our brother or overlook anything that can help our brother. Are we helping our brother? 
Are we staying away from doing anything that would harm our brother? Now, there's, there's, listen, we always have people who have over, they're just oversensitive. And I want you to listen to me carefully. You need to eat and drink if you've done everything you can to take care of your relationships. There's always some things that we have to work on. But Jesus does say in Matthew 5, 23, if you have a problem with a brother and you come to worship, you need to lay down whatever it is. You're, you're, you need to stop and go take care of that relationship and then come back and worship. If you've done everything you can as far as you're possible, then you're welcome to the table. Well, we've said a lot about refraining from the table. Should, can anybody take it? <laughs> can anybody take from the table? And the answer is yes. Listen what what Paul says. As a, a man must examine himself... And in so doing, he is to eat and drink from the cup. So examine yourself and then eat and drink. Look at your heart. Earnestly turn from all your sins. Trust in Jesus' body and blood for the cleansing of your sins. Are you finding your acceptance in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ before God? Our examination is not an examination that somehow makes us worthy to receive the bread and the wine. Rather, our examination is one in which we find that we're not worthy to receive it. We're unworthy. But we find our worthiness in Christ's righteousness. We find our worthiness in Jesus' righteousness and not in ourselves. Calvin puts it like this. This is the worthiness. The best and only kind of worthiness we can bring to God. Listen to this to offer our vileness and our unworthiness to him so that his mercy may make us worthy of him. To despair in ourselves so that we may be comforted in him. To abase ourselves so that we may be lifted up by him. To accuse ourselves so that we may be justified in him. Did you get that? (laughs) I'm not worthy but God makes me worthy. I'm not righteous, but Jesus' righteousness makes me able to take this supper this morning. So this morning as I offer it to you, please come and let us eat and let us drink together. Remember, we're not just thinking about what Jesus did, but we're going to commune with him. As we eat and drink today, we do not believe that the bread and the wine are literally the body and the blood of Jesus, but we do believe that Jesus is is in this bread and in this wine spiritually when we eat and drink with faith in our hearts. And so come and let us eat and drink today. If you're one of Jesus' disciples, you are are being distinguished by this bread and wine like a ring distinguishes a, a husband or a wife. You are to come and eat, confessing your sins professing your faith in Jesus. Are you baptized? Are you a member of, of this church or another church like it? It's time to eat. Are you hungry? Not for that fellowship. Not yet. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for Jesus? Jesus said, Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. So come to this table. Come and eat and come and drink to your heart's content. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you for teaching us that we are doing something very serious when we come to worship. Uh, Lord, sometimes we don't think so seriously about what we're doing. 
But when we handle the body preached and the blood preached, we have a decision to make. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we also need to examine our hearts. And Lord, as we examine our hearts today, we find that we're sinners. And we don't find that we're righteous in and of ourselves, but by faith in Jesus Christ, we find our worthiness in Him. And so, Father, we come in Jesus' name. We come asking you to feed us as we eat and drink today. With faith in our hearts, strengthen us, renew us. We pray that as this bread and wine are set apart from their common and sacred use, that you would energize us for the days and weeks ahead. We might walk away from here doing the will of God as the angels do in heaven. We'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.